Welcome to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. Everybody take a seat. How's everybody doing? Yeah, all right. Glad. We're almost there. It's like three weeks left in school, right? Till you graduate. That's right, brother. We're going to miss you. Hey, God, if you've got a Bible, find a Bible. There's one around you if you don't have a Bible. We're going to be in the book of Philippians, which is near the very back of this book. It's in this white Bible on page 571. And we are finishing out this study in Philippians today. So we're going to, um, and when you guys go to your groups, you are going to read through uh, pretty much all of chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Tonight, we're going to start in verse 4 as I'm talking and we'll see how far we get. Um, but this is the last night that we are talking about the book of Philippians. So we'll just jump right in. We've got a lot to talk about. This is amazing stuff. So we're going to start in, uh, like I said, in verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And we'll stop right there. Um, when I started seminary, there were, I realized a couple of words that were coming up a lot that I kept on getting mixed up. Uh, I wonder if you would have the same problem. Those words, there's three words. Um, imminent, imminent, and imminent. I don't know, th- those are them. I don't know if you would have a hard time keeping up with that. Um, but those words actually were coming up quite a bit, and I was like, wait, which one has the A? Which one is, and, and I was having a hard time, so um, if you've never seen these words before, eminent, the first one with the E, eminent uh, means that it's, it's about a person, it means that they are like famous or well-respected, um, that they have a uh, recognized superiority, so you might have seen like in a movie of some like King's butler was like, you are eminence. It's the word eminent. The, the second one, imminent, um, is a theological word. So it was coming up a lot in my seminary classes. Imminent uh, is this idea of God's presence. Okay, the creator God who created everything and is separate from everything, yet is present in everything. And so that is the word imminent. It's about God being present in everything. And the last word, imminent, is, uh, really just means it's about to happen. So you've heard people say, like, they're imminent doom, okay? And so there are these three words, and I was really having a hard time, like, remembering how to spell them on papers, and they're all, you know, spell check is no help because they're all words, right? So I'm like, dang it. And so I really spent a lot of time thinking about these words, and they, it became kind of a weird devotional study for me is thinking about these words. And that last little phrase here in verse 5, the Lord is at hand. I think you could apply all three of these words to that little phrase, the Lord is at hand. And I think that's a really important phrase in this section that we're about to head into. So, so again, this idea of imminence, that someone is well-regarded, is respected, is an authority. Well, what does the, the phrase say? The Lord is at hand. He is the Lord. Okay, actually, Colossians says that the Lord Jesus is not just imminent, he is preeminent. He is the one that is imminent over any other power and authority. He is the most highly regarded. He is 
the Lord. And that was, I love, man, that Matt had us read Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about Jesus being given the name that is above every name, that Jesus is the King, Jesus is our God, He is the one who has all power, He is the one who has all life and all blessing to give, He is the Lord. And then what does it say about the Lord? But that the Lord is at hand. And at hand can mean really kind of two sides of one thing. So it means um, he's nearby. He's everywhere. And he is especially nearby to those who are his. His saints, the ones that have recognized his preeminence. The one, because look, it doesn't matter what you think, Jesus is preeminent. But to those who call him Lord, who recognize that he is Lord, he is at hand for us. He's nearby for us. And that's really good news because Jesus is with all of that blessing, with all of that power that he has right beside us to help us when we're in need. When we need anything, the Lord is right there. He's not missing it. He's not surprised by our problems. And he is very, very able to help us with whatever we have going on. But then the last idea goes with this other phrase, and this is how the Bible kind of uses that phrase, at hand, a lot of times. And it's, and it's in the sense of, for all of those that don't call Jesus Lord. And it comes with the sense of a very imminent judgment. That for all of those that would not submit to Jesus' preeminence, which is to say that you think you're more imminent than Jesus is, for all of those who would set themselves against Jesus and against the church, and, and especially think about this, remember the bigger context of the book of Philippians is written when Christians were being persecuted for being Christians. The Apostle Paul has been thrown in jail and the Philippians have experienced other people because of their belief in Jesus being uh, attacked and hurt because of their faith in Jesus. And so this idea that the Lord being at hand was meant to be a comfort to them and a warning to all of those people that are persecuting Christians that look, any minute now, Jesus is going to come and he's going to exercise his first one imminent. And that's going to be in judgment. And so Paul is looking at this phrase and he says, look, the Lord is at hand. So if you go back to verse 4, he's already drawing implications out of this. This has been his meditation. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is nearby and coming in power. So verse 4, rejoice. Rejoice. Remember what I said? He's in jail. And he's rejoicing. Not only is he rejoicing, he's trying to get other people to rejoice. Look, the Lord is at hand. It doesn't matter what's going on. The Lord is, is here. He is the Lord. Nothing will change that. And he is for us. He is with us. Rejoice and be glad. But then in verse 5, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And I think that's kind of the idea that, that flows throughout the rest of this section. Reasonableness means something, in this, in this case, it means something like um, a tranquility of mind or a peace of mind, okay? But it's a peace of mind that's built on the premise that you know that something is true and you act in accordance with that thing that you know is true. You're acting reasonably because of what you know is true. What do they know that's true? The Lord is at hand. And so he's saying, this goes back to our whole citizens of heaven thing. Remember this whole, this whole series has been called the citizens of heaven. That how we live is to be on display for everyone else. And he says, so how you're supposed to live is with this reasonableness that the Lord is at hand. So I was trying to think of an example for this. Um, if I gave you a briefcase full of money, 
and you were walking around with a briefcase full of money, but you were walking around like this. And you just were obviously very agitated and very nervous. And I came up to you and I said, man, what's going on? You look like you're in trouble. What do you need? And I said, oh, rent's due tomorrow. And I say, well, hey, man, you got a briefcase full of money. Why don't you use that to, that would be the reasonable thing to do, wouldn't it? The Lord is at hand is better than a briefcase full of money. Okay? And that is true for us. You can't see it. You may not feel like you can take a deposit, but that is more real. That is more true. And we are to live lives in accordance with that. And we don't always. That's hard. That's harder for us. Briefcase full of money would be great. You can count that. That's tangible. But again, this is more real. And so the rest of this section is Paul encouraging this church to walk in that reasonableness, to have that peace of mind that comes from a true belief that the Lord is at hand because he really is. Okay? And so as he unpacks this, he's going to really kind of give us three ways to think about it. So he's going to give us a negative command, so a command to not do something. And then he's going to give us a positive command, so to do something. And then he's going to give us an example, and it's really from his own example. He's going to give himself as an example. So we're going to get a negative, then a positive, and then an example. So the negative command in verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And you can already see, as we've talked about the Lord at hand and reasonableness, you can kind of see how that works out in these verses, right? Does that make sense? So it's the negative command. But if you could read this in Greek, you would see that the force of the negative isn't on being anxious, but it's on the word anything. So in Greek, it's actually nothing be anxious about. Nothing. Or in English, you might you know, read it with the stress. It says, don't be anxious about anything. That's the big word here. Anything. Any circumstance. Whatever's going on. Don't let that thing make you anxious. And the word anxious in Greek has at its roots this idea of um, being divided. Okay? It's, um, I think, man, I just think it's a perfect way to describe anxiety is a, a dividedness. And I can say that because uh, I have had a lifelong struggle with anxiety. And what anxiety is for me is, is something that is in my mind that is calling my attention away from. It is dividing my mind from the thing that whatever is going on right then. So I can be with my family, but there's something else going on. And while I want to be here, I want to be with my family, I'm thinking about this thing, and how's it going to turn out, and what do I need to do to fix it? Can I fix it? What happens if I don't fix it? And, and it? and it takes my life away from this, and it tries to force my life into this thing, and I, and I worry, and I get so divided. And that's the word that here is saying, don't be divided about these other things. Because really, when you pull back all of the layers, when that division kind of gets into our mind, and it, and it is dividing our attention and it's dividing our thoughts. Ultimately, it's dividing our thoughts away from thoughts about God. That anxiety can just work itself in and, and, and it can separate, it can divide us from really worshiping God the way that, that God intended for us so that we could have peace and joy. 
And that's so hard. Like I said, this is something I'm so familiar with, and, it, and it's so hard, and it can be even worse because that anxiety, you know, not always is it just one thing dividing your attention. Sometimes it can be like six things going on, and you don't even know which one you're worried about, and it can be so much that anxiety can move into depression because there's so many things, and you feel so overwhelmed. This is, this is true for me. that You feel so overwhelmed that you're like, I don't even know where to start. I don't even want to start. I don't even care where I feel like I'm failing at everything because I can't give anything the attention that it deserves. And I just get so sad. And so this anxiety is something um, that, that God does not want for us, that God wants to help us with. And that's why God gave us this word in the book of Philippians to start addressing it. And that's why Paul comes in and he says, hey, don't be anxious about anything. But I'm so glad he did not stop there. Because if that's all he said, that would suck like, don't be anxious. That makes me anxious. Anybody else? Did he give this command, don't be anxious? I'm like, what? That's not what he says. Okay? He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And this is why that matters. This is, what, this is what's really at heart in this, in this command, in this admonition, is this is all about us recognizing and acknowledging the thing. The thing that's making us anxious. The thing that's going on, okay? And, and acknowledging that we are anxious. This is what's behind that, okay? It's not saying don't be anxious. That's like saying don't think about pink elephants. It's saying admit and acknowledge that you're anxious and then try and figure out what is the source of that. Does that make sense? So I think this is, and this has been true for me, is that I'm so used to being anxious that I don't even know what anxious feels like. And anxious feels like normal for me because I've been so anxious. Maybe that's you. I don't know. But anxious, and so I have to really, really work to, wait, wait, this is not like normal, this is not how this is not what it should feel like, okay? I'm actually very, very worried right now, but I've forgotten, and so I've just been walking around like this is just how I'm supposed to feel, but I'm not. And so I have to really, really pay attention to my feelings to recognize when I'm being anxious. And, and sometimes, okay, sometimes we think, we walk around and we think anxious is actually helpful, okay? That we believe, well, somebody's got to worry about this, and if I worry about this, maybe this, you know, and we feel like it's productive. It feel, we feel like that at least by being mindful of it, it's actually going to get something done. But again, we have to say, no, that's, that's anxious. And this is saying we, we shouldn't be anxious, okay? Anxious isn't productive. It doesn't um, do what we want it to do with that. And then other times, we're anxious, and we have no idea what it is that we're anxious about. I think that's honestly most of us, right? Anybody been there? Okay. And there's, and there's a lot behind this, okay? A lot of times our anxiety is not the thing that we think it is. It's not, the th it's not something that you can just easily put your finger on. A lot of times our anxiety is caused by something much deeper than that. And guys, sometimes our anxiety, we live in a fallen world with fallen bodies. And sometimes our anxiety has nothing that we can put our finger on with it, okay? Sometimes our bodies will just go nuts, and, and even that, what I'm getting at, is even that anxiety, the anxiety that says, I have no idea what this is from, I don't think this is from anything, even that anxiety we need to acknowledge. 
that's what this is saying. You have to recognize when you're feeling anxious so that you can start addressing what's going on. And the big thing with this is that there's nothing in this text that would uh, indicate that this is a process that you do by yourself. All of this is one of the, you know, and I keep on talking about Greek. Sorry, if, if you're new to the Bible, this part of the Bible was written in ancient Greek originally. Okay, so that's why I keep on saying in Greek this is what it says. I wish I didn't have to do that, but sometimes it's helpful. And in Greek, all of those words, you, are plural. All of these words directed to this church are plural words. And so this is saying, all of you guys, this is something that you're ne you need to be working at. Okay, and so this process of acknowledging and getting help with our anxiety is not something that we're supposed to do by ourselves. But this is something that the Apostle Paul here and God working through the Apostle Paul is intending that we do together. Okay? So with my wife at home, when I'm feeling anxious, I tell her, hey, this is going on and I am feeling anxious right now. I am recognizing that I feel anxious and I just want to, I need to tell you that. Okay, and I think it's because there's a lot I have to get done this week, and I'm not sure that there's enough hours in the day for me to get it done, and it's really stressing me out. Okay, but, but I share that with her. And a lot of times, there's a lot of power in just saying it out loud. And you saying it out loud, you hearing it with your own ears, or having somebody else hear it, and then you can already start thinking, oh, wait, but that's not necessarily true. It felt true. It felt like a legitimate feeling to be holding on to, but I'm going to share that, and it already kind of starts helping with that process. But guys, sometimes... Um, it's more than just sharing with somebody else that you're feeling anxious. Sometimes you need to get more help with this. This is where I found myself, okay? So I've told you that anxiety has been a lifelong struggle for me. Um, I finally went and started seeing a counselor, somebody that God has given special gifts to that can help me kind of sort through this stuff, and it has been incredibly beneficial. And he's been helping me see that, again, it's not the thing that I maybe I thought it was, but Maybe it is a fear of how people are going to perceive me, or it's a fear of the future, or it's um, just something weird going on that day. I had too much coffee, you know? And, but he's helping me kind of work through and pinpoint. And this is what I'm saying, that, that the plan for God is to help us use community, talk through this. I'm feeling anxious. I don't know what's going on. I need some help. Trying to pinpoint, trying to figure out what's going on, if we can if we can get it, but, but why? Okay, why are we doing all this work? We're trying to get so we can name it, so we can stop feeling like this is just how it is, because it's not, okay? You get what I'm saying? I'm not, I, and I'm trying to be really careful, okay? I know that this is, this is hard, and if I screw this up, just please come talk to me, and we can keep talking about this, okay? But, but the point is, God did not make us to feel anxious. Sin makes us feel anxious, Okay? Now, I'm not saying if you're anxious, you're a sinner, you're a terrible sinner, okay? But I'm saying all of us are broken, and God's amazing promise is that he has come to fix our brokenness. And he's come to fix our brokenness now to the extent that he's planned on doing, but he will fix it perfectly when he comes again in that imminent return. But the process now is we've got to admit that it's okay that we're broken. That's what Jesus came to help us in, and we need to, we need to work on this. But why? Okay, what is, this, what is this text saying? That once we acknowledge what that thing is that's causing us to be anxious, if we can pinpoint it, the reason that that's so important is because then we can start praying about it. Then we can start talking to God about it. Then we can start applying that truth, the Lord is at hand, 
to that thing. And we can start trying to see how those things fit together and how the truth of the Lord being at hand helps with that. Does that make sense? That's what he says. So, um, again, if you look back at verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's an incredible promise. That's God's word. Okay? So God, God does not want us to sit alone and has given us no recourse to help with worry and anxiety. But God wants us to acknowledge that as one more thing that he came to save. One more thing that he came to fix. One more thing that he's given us lots of things to help with. Lots of good friends. Lots of good counselors. If it needs it, good medicine. That's a common grace, okay? But God wants to help us with our anxiety, so we have to acknowledge it. Okay? And then he can, he can bring about that peace. And I love that he says that peace that surpasses all understanding. I have to think that that's Paul talking from experience. Because he's in jail. Right? He's in jail, and he's pretty, like he was talking earlier, he's like, I might get my head cut off. I don't know. That's an anxious situation, right? I don't know what you have going on. You may have a bunch of projects to do, okay? Maybe have really bad stuff. This was a bad situation for Paul. But Paul is saying, hey, I am trying to remember that the Lord is at hand, and I'm praying about this situation, and there has come over me a peace that has surpassed all understanding, okay? And, and he's promising that for us. This is God's word. But there's a fight. Do you see that? We have to be acknowledging it and we have to be fighting against it. One of the things that my counselor has said to me that has been so helpful, I've been thinking about this so much, it's, a, it's actually a Martin Luther quote. He says that you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from building a nest in your hair. I really like that. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head. You can't stop anxious thoughts from coming in. You can't stop circumstances that cause anxiety. The circumstances that rightly should scare you or should rightly worry you or put stress on you. You can't stop those things. But you can stop those things from dwelling in your mind. You can stop those things from kind of hiding in the back, just out of sight, just out of recognition, so that they don't get acknowledged. You can do on that, but it takes some work. You have to bat that thing away. Okay? And, and by acknowledging that it's there and by asking God to help with that, Okay, that, that's a way that you can, um, you can get that bird, from, that bird of anxiety from putting a nest on your head. I love that picture. That got me thinking about birds. And it got me thinking about this other thing in this text. Sorry, this is just where my mind goes. Um, but the, I was in Glorieta, New Mexico, not all that long. Anybody been to Glorieta, New Mexico? It's pretty cool. Um, and I don't know, so there was like these swallow birds. You know what swallows are? Um, and there was like a million of them just flying around all over the place and it was actually really annoying. You could tell that they did not want them there and I could tell because I was walking around at one of these buildings and I started hearing this like really weird like high-pitched noise, like really high-pitched, like you almost couldn't hear it but it was this kind of weird high-pitched noise and I was like, what in the world is that? And I, and I looked around and I finally found it and there was this little box on this hanging ceiling and it had a big red, like, no sticker with a bird in the middle of it. And I had to look it up because I was like, what in the world is this? It was an ultrasonic bird deterrent. 
You didn't know that existed, did you? That's how bad those swallows were. That they got this little box, and I guess how it works is that it was this really high frequency that drove those birds crazy, and so they wouldn't get anywhere near it, and so they wouldn't make their nests in this place. Otherwise, it would have just been like nests and poop everywhere. And so they had this ultrasonic bird deterrent. Okay? These next, this, this next verse, verse 8, is our ultrasonic bird deterrent for the bird of anxiety. Okay? So if prayer and supplication is us taking a broom and beating that bird out of the nest that is our head, this is our ultrasonic bird deterrent. Okay? This keeps them from even getting close. This is what it says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Bring back that word things, okay? Don't be anxious about these things. Think about these things. What are the things? Look at this list. I mean, it's virtues. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. And this is the positive command. Think about these things. Actively do it. I want you to try something tomorrow. You guys have the day off tomorrow, okay? Go find somewhere quiet, sit down, and try and think for five minutes straight without your mind wandering. Whatever you want. Think about whatever you want. But the only thoughts that come into your head need to be thoughts that you put there, that you decided to think about. Don't let your mind wander off to that movie that you watched last night or to all the projects that you don't have done yet or to that thing going on with your girlfriend or what would happen if everything green was red. Don't, <laughs> don't let your mind wander off to that, okay? Try it. I would be willing to bet $100 that you can't do it. Okay? I've tried it. We, this, what Paul is talking about is growing in the discipline of being active in our thoughts. Once you do that, once you do that, you'll realize how passive we are, how often we let our mind tell us, our subconscious mind tell us what to be thinking about. And if you're like me, what my subconscious mind wants to think about is everything that's going wrong that I should be worried about. Okay? And he's saying, think about these positive things. But it's a lot more than positive thinking. I don't want you to walk away from that. Okay? What this really is, is having a mind of worship. Because what is, what is the most true thing? God. And so he's saying, think about what's true. Okay? And so he's really saying, like, stop and think about attributes of God and start thinking about things that are true that, that you can walk in, like the Lord being at hand. Think about true things about God. Or he says, think about what's honorable. And God is, of course, the most honorable. So thinking about God's imminence, if you think about all these things, and really, like he's saying, actively do this. And if you have a hard time doing it in your head, say it out loud. Walk around and just say these things. Because then you're in charge of what your mind is doing what your mind is saying. And this is also very helpful if somebody else is making you anxious or if you have a problem with somebody else and you just can't stop but thinking negative things about that person. Think about what's honorable about that person. Think about what are the good things that that person has. What's another? He says, think about whatever's pure. Man, we live in such an over-sexualized culture. Our culture has basically just defined beauty as sex. But there is so much other kind of beauty. And actively go around and think about these other kinds of beauty, these other kinds of things that are, that are um, 
clean and wholesome. Think about those things and the goodness inherent in those things. But what's the point, okay? You could spend, I mean, I would, I would encourage you, this would be great. I might do this. Like, spend one week at a time just on one of these words. Look up what that word means. Write down what it means. Write down examples of what that thing is and just try and think about that all the more. And if you did that, and if you were really trying to fill your mind with these thoughts, you would not have time to be anxious because you were thinking about these good things. You would have so, your mind would be so active thinking about these other things that you wouldn't, you wouldn't even have time to drift over to these negative thoughts. And so that's what he's saying is that if you're thinking about these things, it is like putting out this signal that's just going to deter these negative thoughts from even coming into your mind. And we all have to do this. Something else that I've heard that's been so helpful, your mind is a powerful tool, but a terrible master. And I, th- I know I am often so mastered by my mind. My mind tells me what to think, and it doesn't have to. Okay? But this peace and this owning, this mastering your mind is not possible in your own flesh. Okay? Like I said, all of this is the result of brokenness, and all of this is only fixed by God. But God can and God will fix it if we recognize these things that we started off, that he is Lord, that he is at hand, okay? And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, and this stuff that I'm talking about is like, yes, this is me to a T. I want to say, you can't fix it by yourself. No amount of positive thinking, uh, in those, when those positive thoughts are not thoughts about God ultimately, is going to fix this. And no amount of meditation, no amount of um, anything is really going to be any good at fixing this. But if you will believe in Jesus, and if you do believe in Jesus, then this is what he's saying. This can heal you. This can help you. This can bring about a peace, a kind of peace that even, look, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to think that you can be perfectly cured of this. I can't promise you that. God doesn't promise that he's going to take away every problem in this life right now. But he does promise one day that he will. And that, even that hope in that one day gives us peace right now. And this is what he is extending to us. And now, as I said, the rest of this is Paul's example, using him, himself, as an example. The famous uh, Philippians 4.13 verse is in there. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I hope that when you guys are in your discussion group, you will look at that verse in context of what this is talking about. That is not about your intramural football game. But that is God being at work to strengthen him to do this thing that would otherwise be impossible, which is to be content no matter what thing is going on around him. So I'm going to let you guys go and I'm going to let you discuss Paul as the example in that and these other things that we talked about. But I did want to just take a second and say one more thing. Um, Because... This is not only our last crave for the semester, but this is my last crave lesson ever. Okay, a lot of you guys know that I'm uh, leaving after this so that I can go and I can finish seminary so I can learn more words like imminent and what to do with them. Okay, and, I, and I'm very excited about that. But I've been here for five years. And I was looking at this text and I was just thinking, this, this text, especially that section that we just looked about at what you're thinking, okay, that's been my heart for you guys. I have wanted so much to help you think about what's true, 
and what's honorable and what's just and what's pure and what's excellent and what's lovely, what's worthy of praise, what's commendable. I've wanted to help you think about those things. And the way that uh, I am so convicted that we can know about those things is because God has told us what all of those things are. And so it has been my privilege, guys, to be able to bring this to you, to show you those things that we should think about, and to try and help you think about that. And you guys have done so much to help me think about those things, and it has grown me, and I hope that you've been grown by this, but it has been my joy and my privilege to get to do that for you guys. And I, you know, I, I just really wanted to give you a bit of a charge as I was leaving, okay? Because um, there, there are going to be uh, plenty of other staff people here and, and leaders here to, to try and continue to help you do this. But my charge is, you guys help one another think about these things, okay? You guys need to be the ones that are thinking about God's word and the things that are true in it, and you need to be sharing that with other people. You need to be pushing each other to think more and more, to have these thoughts conform more and more ultimately to that thought that the Lord is at hand. Because if I leave and Stephanie leaves and everybody left, all of the staff people left, but you guys were committed to helping each other think about what is true, if you guys were committed to sharing the word of God with each other, it wouldn't matter at all if we all left. You guys could continue and this thing would grow because that's how God has determined that things work. So would you please, when I leave, be committed to doing the same thing that I've been trying to do for the last five years, okay? Get this in front of everybody that you can. You guys know it. Speak it to each other. Help each other think about it and then take it out there. Because we talked in here, and, and a lot of us in here are in Christ, and life's hard, isn't it? Sin is hard. And I hope that that return of Jesus is more imminent than, than ever. Because I don't, want, I don't want this stuff. But I have hope. I have the Lord at hand. Could you imagine going through this hard life without that? And you have these things that bring peace that surpasses all understanding. Give that peace to each other, and then take that peace out there. Please. Okay? And I know you will. I know that's what you've been doing. But go in that. So I want to I leave you with, this is the, the closing verse of this book. It's a benediction that um, the Apostle Paul gives to the church in Philippi. I walked around today and I prayed these verses for you guys. This is verse 23. It says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.